So I've been having a lot of vivid dreams lately, uh, and maybe this is due to welcoming our baby girl uh, home. She is two weeks old today, and she has definitely changed the, the landscape of our sleeping habits, I'm sure. Um, for instance, like Janelle and I used to joke that we were uh, kind of old married couple already because we would go to sleep at 8 p.m., um, and she had an excuse, right, because she had to work, and so she'd get up at 6 a.m. to get ready to go to work and teach, but I didn't usually have something that urgent, maybe a breakfast with Tony Pino or something, but it, there wasn't very many things that would get me out of bed before 8 o'clock. And, uh, and so if you do the math, I was getting somewhere around 10 to 12 hours of sleep at night. Um, Let's just say that average has drastically reduced, and I won't even mention how Janelle's sleep is now, Um, because when the tossing and turning and the crying of the baby's, you know, grunts and just little cooing and everything like that, it's finally signaling it's time to get up maybe four or five o'clock in the morning, Um, you know, we're ready to get on with the day. And so as I'm, I'm waking up and I'm actually getting on with the day, I turn to Janelle and I say, you know, I had this really, really vivid dream last night, and it's, it's been almost every day for the last two weeks that I've said this, and her reply, as you can probably guess, is, me too, right? I'm having these vivid dreams as well. And you know, as I think about the Bible, it's full of weird and vivid dreams. Jacob dreams about a ladder into heaven, and as he sees these angels ascending and descending, One of Jacob's 12 sons, Joseph, has several dreams, and a couple of them have to do with his brothers, and they get him in some trouble. Um, But other dreams he interprets and ends up becoming like the prime minister of Egypt. Dreams are really, really important. They're throughout the Old Testament. Prophets and, and these different people have these encounters with God through visions in dreams. And so again, today, our text is one with a dream. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what the prophet had said, what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. So uh, the text says all this took place um, to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And from the get-go, I want you to realize that Matthew is trying to make a point. Before he gets to the teachings of Jesus, before he gets to any miracles Jesus has performed, Matthew wants us to know about a promise that Jesus is fulfilling. That Jesus' birth is a fulfillment to a promise made by God. 
Now, sometimes we read this text and we see the quotation in our English translations, and your Bible might even have a little lettered footnote that says Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. When we go back and read, we discover that the prophet named Isaiah had a message from the Lord, and this message was for a king, a king named Ahaz of Judah. He was the king of the southern kingdom of Israel during the time of the divided kingdom, and about 700 years before Jesus is when he lived. Um, Now, the sign was very similar. A young girl is pregnant with a child, and the sign is to let the king of Judah know something. The message is contained in the name of the child. So I just want us to think a little bit about names for a moment. Um, When I go to the movies, I used to have an AMC A-list account. That has since gone away with the child's arrival. But when I'd go, they would ask me for my ID um, because they wanted to make sure that my name matched the name on the account that I was using. Um, And this was the way it was for MoviePass and different people. Um, You know, the significant part of an ID, though, is that the name matches with the picture, Um, When you're traveling, you might have a passport. It has a name. When I grew up, um, let's see, I was about three, four years old when we moved to Taiwan, and then we moved around to different places in Southeast Asia. And when I was a teenager, we lived in Vietnam. And as we would go back and forth from Vietnam to the U.S., uh, we had to have our passport. And about an hour before flying into Vietnam and landing there, we had to fill out this white and yellow sheet. And on it, was it was an immigration form. And they would ask for your family name. You see, they were really big on naming it not just your surname or your last name, that it's your family name and then your first name. And you might have some friends from Vietnam like I do, and many of them have the last name Nguyen, N-G-U-Y-E-N, because the family name Nguyen was a royal family name during, uh, you know, around the thousand AD or something like that. And so many people in Vietnam changed their family name to Huynh, to be part of the royal family. Your name has significance. It ties you to who you are. And as I think about names, you know, one of the things that I've done is I've I've performed a wedding and it was really cool, but I messed up the marriage certificate. And that was really embarrassing because then the marriage certificate had to be mailed to me and I had to mail it back and all those things. But you have to write in the boxes and you have to, to identify whether you want to keep your family name or if you want the chance to change your name and adopt your spouse's name. Traditionally, that's the wife uh, gives up her family name and adopts her husband's name. And as I think about names now, especially uh, the naming of children is really a big deal. Uh, do you want to be classic or do you want to be kind of unique? Do you want to change the spelling and doom them to always have a misspelled name at Starbucks? Um, my wife is Janelle, but it's an abnormal spelling of it, and so she always gets a weird spelling of Janelle for her Starbucks name. Um, or maybe you, you want to run the risk of them always uh, being the third or fourth with that name in their class because you used a, a kind of a famous name. Um, But circumstances often inspire us to a name, right? It just fits. This is what I'm thinking about. Um, Other times, though, it can really have no significance at all. It's just what came to mind that day. It was we were choosing the name uh, for our baby, Ashlyn, Selah. Um, Selah was very intentional. It means breath in Hebrew. But as I was uh, thinking about Ashlyn, really, it was more of a gut decision. We just really liked the nickname Ash. 
And, uh, and so as I think about this, the name of this child, this sign to Ahaz, the name was significant. Emmanuel, God with us. And it wasn't actually the only child. In, if you read on in Isaiah, there are many children that have unique names that are signs to Ahaz. Ahaz was in the middle of a political nightmare. In fact, enemy nations were surrounding him. He was under siege and he was afraid, very afraid. So the prophet comes and gives this promise. He says, God's going to destroy these nations that are coming after you. He's going to get rid of this enemy that you have. The people of Judah and Ahaz, all you have to do is put your trust in me to save you. And the sign is that when this child, who is going to be born, and that takes nine months, Emmanuel, all this would take place by the time he was grown if only Ahaz would trust. So we come to this dream in the story of Jesus, and an angel recalls this story of Ahaz to Joseph. And Joseph probably would have been familiar with the history of Ahaz and Emmanuel and the promise. And so he recalls this commission, and he now gives a new child, a new sign of God with us, is this new baby that's going to be born named Jesus. And I know our picture of angels might be kind of like a gold figure with wings, uh, or maybe you watched Touched by an Angel like I did growing up with my grandmother, loved Touched by an Angel. Um, and you just kind of have this image of these kind of unassuming, perfect people that are there. But angel in the Bible actually just means messenger. Sorry. Um, and as we uh, think about this vision and the, of this messenger coming to God... Coming to Joseph from God. I'm not sure what I'm doing. Is it me? Okay. Um, As we think about this messenger coming uh, to Joseph in this dream, I want you to think a little bit about um, what the promise is that this baby is fulfilling. What might um, Joseph be, what might the angel be telling Joseph? Is it me? It's the beard. Uh, that's why the beard, the beard is the problem. All right, we're going we're gonna to try and fix the beard here. Is that better? A little bit better? No? Sounds better? Okay, hopefully, hopefully it won't keep brushing up against the beard. Um, so the promise to Ahaz already happened. So what might this angel, this messenger be saying to Joseph? Because it's not, it's not the same promise. The promise that God would be with the people of Judah already happened 700 years before. So as we uh, think about these promises, I want to recall some of the ones to you from the Bible. So if you go back to the beginning of your Bibles in Genesis chapter 1, there seems to be a promise in the creation of the world that God would bless mankind. Um, And so, you know, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the Trinity says, let us make mankind in our image. And then he says that he blessed them and told them to be fruitful and come into uh, shepherding of the earth. But the story isn't just all hunky-dory from there, right? If you, if you know that the earth is not perfect, um, you know that there is a chapter 3 in Genesis, and there's some sin and fall happens. And so people wanted to be their own God. They didn't want to just be with God anymore. They wanted to be their own gods. And so in Genesis 12, we pick up the story with a man named Abram. 
And God makes a promise to Abram that through him, the whole world would be blessed, that he would be the father of many nations, and through his descendants, all the peoples of the earth would be blessed. And this is actually why Abram's name changes to Abraham, father of many nations. So God saves and rescues the Israelites later on from their captivity in Egypt through Moses. He gives them another promise that God will be their God and they will be God's people. In Exodus chapter um, 20 and then also later on in Deuteronomy 5, we're given the Ten Commandments and they're a sort of promise, a covenant between God and the people. And so God is calling them to this way of life to be with them. But again, this covenant, like the promise in Genesis, falls short because people choose not to be in that relationship with God. They choose not to live in covenant relationship, in the trust of the Lord. And so they, they fail, and they replace their relationship with God for other gods. So the prophets, like Jeremiah is one of them, comes to the people and speaks to them about this captivity that's going to happen, and then out of that is going to come a new covenant. And so uh, Jeremiah 31 has a great, great passage. I'll just read just briefly for you a part of it. Um, In Jeremiah 31, starting in verse 31, it says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. God has entered the place. Um, No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So the child that we celebrate, this new Emmanuel, is fulfilling these promises, a promise throughout the whole Bible that has been saying God is going to be with his people. And we call Jesus um, this way. His name means Lord saves or or Yahshua in Hebrew. And it's the fulfillment woven throughout all of these scriptures. That God's blessing in creating humanity for Jesus is a true reflection of God. And through Jesus, we're reconciled back into an original state of reflecting the goodness of our creator. So like Jesus, we now too can be this new humanity, this perfect person. Um, Jesus is a child of Abraham. We get this noted in Matthew chapter 1. Um, and actually, guys, we're not ready for communion quite yet, so you're, you're, you're good. You can relax for just a few more minutes. It's probably going to be 10, 15 more minutes. Um, so Matthew reminds us that Jesus is this child of Abraham by starting the genealogy with Jesus, the son of Abraham, and he works his way through. Um, and so through Abraham, we see that Jesus uh, is the fulfillment of that promise of blessing the whole world. Uh, but most importantly, Jesus no longer, uh, with Jesus, we no longer have to be dependent on the Mosaic law. So as Moses brought us into this idea of understanding the rules and how to live with God, we no longer have to do that because Jesus makes it possible for us to live with God, giving us grace, forgiveness, 
And in Jeremiah, he says that, um, that I will remember their sins no more, and they will be my people, and I will be their God. And so in Jesus, the promise of God with us is fulfilled. And that's, that's why the angel in this dream says this. But I wonder for us what this really means. I can see it uh, woven through the tapestry of Scripture. But why this message in a dream, and what does it mean for me almost 2,000 years later? Is this just a dream that's too good to be true? When I wake up and turn the news on, the world is still broken. It's still full of evil and suffering. On Monday, which comes after Sunday, we still are faced with coworkers and bosses and workplaces that are full of people who choose to live under other gods, who mistreat us and mistreat other people. And our world is still full of fear, far from the dream of a God with us experience that we'd like it to be. And I think Joseph carried this same weight that we do when he lay down to sleep that night. And so I want us just for a few moments, as I lead us through a reflection time, to contemplate um, Joseph's dream. So what I'm going to do is read the passage again, and then I'm going to lead us through some thoughtful reflection questions while I have some thoughtful reflection music playing. We'll see how this goes. Um, And as I do that, there we go, thoughtful reflection music. Um, I found this reflection really helpful uh, when I did it this past week in anticipation of Christmas. And it's a a method pioneered by St. Ignatius, so he lived a long time ago, like 500 years ago. And he's uh, kind of known for this form of Ignatian spirituality. And one of the things that he encourages people to do is apply our senses and our imagination to a text, to really enter into these scenes, to feel what it was like to be there. And so that's what I'm going to invite you to do for about the next five, ten minutes, is to hear this dream and really enter into it. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before they came to the marriage bed, Joseph discovered she was pregnant. It was by the Holy Spirit. But Joseph, he didn't know that. Joseph, chagrined but noble, determined to take care of things quietly so that Mary would not be disgraced. He was trying to figure a way out. Now this is when he had a dream. God's angel spoke to him in the dream. Joseph, son of David, don't hesitate to get married. Mary's pregnancy is spirit-conceived. God's Holy Spirit has made her pregnant, and she will bring a son to birth. And when she does, you, Joseph, will name him Jesus. God saves. Because he will save his people from their sins. And this would bring the prophet's embryonic sermon to full term. Watch, for this, a virgin will get pregnant and bear a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is Hebrew for God is with us. Then Joseph woke up, and he did exactly what God's angel commanded in the dream. He married Mary, but he did not consummate the marriage until she had the baby, and he named the baby 
So we're focusing on Joseph's dream. But just for a moment, spend a little bit of time on the background of that scene. How Mary was found to be pregnant. The trouble that discovery must have caused and probably the tension between their families. And so as you maybe need to close your eyes to imagine the scene or perhaps jot down notes on a piece of paper as you respond to these questions, just imagine for a moment how Joseph might have been feeling as he lay down to sleep that night. And now, imagine the scene, the scene of Joseph's dream. First, concentrate on what you can see. What is the place like? What does Joseph look like? What does the angel look like? What else can you see? turn to listening. Listen to the angel telling Joseph not to be afraid to take Mary as his wife. Perhaps Joseph says something in response. What can you hear? Now, consider what it is that they are doing, Joseph and this angel. The angel is carrying the news of the birth of this Savior, and Joseph is humbly accepting the role he is given. The beginnings are here of the unfolding of God's great saving plan. Consider now what it is each of them is up to. As we close this reflection time, um, consider how God is with you. Ponder just for a few more moments. What things like Joseph that you're afraid of? Maybe things you're afraid of doing as he was afraid to take Mary home as his wife. How is God inviting you not to fear, but to trust that in Jesus, God
Would you pray with me? God, we are grateful um, for this dream of Joseph's. We're grateful that you have preserved it in our Bibles, that we might reflect on this every year at the Christmas season. God, as we think about what you said through the prophet um, and then through the angel messenger in Joseph's dream and now through Matthew and in our text today, that you are with us, Emmanuel. The promise has been fulfilled. May we live into that more and more each day. Amen. Dreams are a funny thing, right? They are uh, not just from the pizza you ate the night before. Um, Dreams are lifelike, you know? And when you wake up sometimes, you might just wonder if that actually happened, if what transpired in your dream really actually happened. Um, And yes, guys, your wife can really get mad at you for what you did in the dream, okay? It's allowed, Uh, but it's nothing that a back scratch can't fix, right? Um, Or washing the dishes can't amend for. But our dreams often um, reflect actually what's going on with us every day. That job interview that you're going in for tomorrow, that test you didn't study for, that vacation you can't wait to go on, or that tragedy that just hit. We relive or anticipate them in our dreams. That important meeting with our boss or with our family member, the wonder of Christmas, I think, is that it reminds us that the promise is fulfilled, that God with us is not just a dream. And Joseph teaches us not to just let the promises of Christ and his coming be just a dream that we wake up from and say, wow, that was a really vivid dream. He acted upon the message that he received. The message of God with us leads us to take action. And so um, if you're around the next two Sundays, Brian and I are going to be sharing a little bit about some things we think in the new year you should take some action on. And I, I wonder if for us today we can be like Joseph, that we too are called to humbly accept the role that God has given to us in bringing about the blessing of the world, uh, that the world needs of Jesus being God with us, of Jesus being the saving. Um, Paul says it this way in Ephesians 2, and I actually came upon this after I had already done most of the prep for this sermon, and I just thought I have to work it in somehow here. He says, therefore, remember that you formerly who were Gentiles by birth, so he's talking to these Christians who have converted. Um, He says, you were far away, And now you've been brought near. You were without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, you've been brought near by the blood of Jesus. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we have both have access to the Father by one spirit. And so he says, now you're no longer foreigners or strangers, but you're fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, those who've gone before, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. 
And now he says, in him we were built together and joined together and rising up as a holy temple in the Lord. And we too are being built together into a dwelling in which God dwells by his spirit. And so I I think about the promise being fulfilled today is not just fulfilled by Jesus, but in fact, this Christmas, you and I get to fulfill that promise because now God lives in us. And so we become the fulfillment as the body of Christ built together a new humanity made possible because of Jesus. For it is God who dwells in us, and so through us the world has the promise that God is with them. And so this Christmas you have a chance to act upon the dream that God has for you, to reconcile, to break down walls of hostility. This Christmas you are the Emmanuel. And as we bring those who are far away to be near, as we bring peace to our families around the tables, as we bring peace to our jobs in the coming year, instead of being strangers in Jesus, we are all members of God's household. I uh, don't know about you, but one of our family's gluttonous habits is watching Christmas movies. Um, Luckily for me, I have at least a couple family members that don't do the marathon in July. Um, They wait at least until Thanksgiving to start the Christmas movies. But as I was um, watching some, we found a version of the Christmas Carol, the famous Charles Dickens Christmas Carol. They got a fresh look recently by... Um, this movie here, uh, which is called The Man Who Invented Christmas. And if you're a Downton Abbey fan, it's Matthew is the main character from Downton Abbey. Um, For those of you who are interested, um, spoiler alert, Matthew dies. No, okay. Uh, So Charles Dickens in this movie is actually the subject of the story. So um, the movie is not so much about Ebenezer Scrooge and the Christmas Carol. It's about the writing of A Christmas Carol. And the journey of the character is actually reflected in the journey of the author. Um, And so, you know, if you know the story of of A Christmas Carol, Scrooge has these series of dreams. And uh, following the death of one of his colleagues, his his, uh, colleague comes, Jacob Marley, as a ghost. And then you have these three ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future. And they tell this chilling tale, and he wakes up from this dream, a changed man. Overnight changed. Scrooge is harsh and bitter, and his spirit is in contrast with what should be, or at least what Dickens writes about as being the Christmas spirit. And he writes that the Christmas spirit is is one of kindness, generosity, and warmth. And I found this this new movie an intriguing spin. It's on, um, not Netflix, it's on uh, Amazon Prime. And, uh, And as I was watching it, I realized that he it helps you understand that the the writing of this character Scrooge is not just reflected in people he met, but actually in his own personality and character. He himself went on a journey of realizing that in himself there is a Scrooge. And like many of us, we also resonate with this story because we also struggle. Even though Charles in the movie is a happy, exuberant man, a dad of many kids, and he's fun to be around, there is lurking in him a darkness, another part of himself that would leak out in times of stress. Someone who would say, bah humbug, to the Christmas season. And so as Charles Dickens discovers in the writing of the tale, he has to deal with his own fears, actually. 
I won't spoil this movie for you. I think it's actually one worth watching. But he has some fears he has to deal with to find the Christmas spirit, to find the ability to be kind and generous and warm to his own family, who were often the brunt of his darkness leaking out. And so the culmination of the story led to a transformation of Scrooge and a whole different imagination of of actual the Christmas time. At the end of the movie, they make a note that in England, it actually changed over that year, uh, that overnight people read that book, and that year they gave like 70% more um, in giving and charitable donations. People's imaginations were captured by this story of, of Ebenezer Scrooge and the Christmas Carol. And so as I, I think about these key themes of generosity, kindness, and warmth, um, how they're key parts of Christmas, and they're actually what woke Scrooge up, right, in his dream. When he woke up, he acted on them. And so I wonder if like Charles Dickens, if like Joseph, we might wake up from our dreams this Christmas, face our fears, and act on the promise that God is with us. And so as we move here in the next few minutes into communion, um, I just want you to think about these questions. How can you practice generosity more this year? Who needs a kind word from you or the warmth of your hospitality and friendship? How might the promise of God with us be fulfilled through your generosity and kindness and warmth? this Christmas. Because I think that's what God wants us to wake up and act upon. Um, As I think about um, communion this morning, we're going to pass around the trays in just a moment. Um, And so as we do that, I want you to take the bread, um, which represents the body of Christ, and remember that um, this ties together the promises that God made to his people. Every year, the Jewish people celebrate Passover, and we in our church tradition celebrate communion every week. And there's a reason that there's rhythms that God gives us, repetition. And we celebrate Christmas, giving gifts once a year on a rhythm. God wants us to be reminded that he is with us. And so as you take the bread, um, the body of Christ given for you, Um, remember that God is with you now. And may this be a symbol that leads into the next year. As my dad used to say, we're linking a chain from now till Christ comes back. That this promise is true. That every time we take communion, God is with us around the table. Jesus said he wouldn't eat this bread or drink this cup until he did it in the kingdom of God. And we believe the kingdom of God has come in us. Um, In what Jesus did when he rose from the dead, And he came and he said, now the spirit will come from my father and live in you. So may we remember that as we share in communion together.